right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be starting 2 Timothy, if you want to turn there, 2 Timothy 1. It's my last attempt. I've got two seats available for tomorrow night's banquet fundraiser for the source. Um, if you're interested in sitting at my table, they're free tickets. You don't have to pay anything. Um, you're welcome to join us. It'll be at 7 o'clock out at uh, the Boulders there at Mazingo. Um, it's a formal attire, so if you show up and you're looking for a table, I'll have two seats. John, that's not what you're wearing, is it, John? Okay, yeah, it looks okay. A little more. If you put tats all the way down, we'll call that a long sleeve. Yeah, and that'll work. That'll work. Anyway, that's tomorrow night if you're interested. Otherwise, keep, in, keep it in prayer if you can't come. Um, this is our one fundraiser for the year, and uh, it kind of really gets us going to be able to keep it going throughout the year. So um, anyway, you don't have to be there to donate, by the way. If you want to send them a check, uh, they'd appreciate it. Um, and you can look that up online at uh, the source. Um, anyway, last week we left off with Paul closing his first letter to Timothy, his young uh, pastor who he's left in Ephesus to be the pastor there, and he's raising up elders and picking elders, and um, that's really where we get our model for our government style here at Calvary. And, and uh, Timothy's a pastor, and he picks the elders, and he's got criteria and all, and um, and it's going to work out pretty good. Deacons, likewise, shows them what, what that's to look like. Now, what we move on to the second letter that Paul writes. It's his last uh, writings. This is Paul's last letter. Um, it's not in, in order, necessarily, but it is his last letter. R- writes it in 67 AD. It's uh, from his Roman cell uh, while he's waiting uh, Nero. And uh, he's not sure if he's going to speak to anybody ever again. So um, this is one of his... Uh, obviously, it is his final letter, but it is a more heartfelt letter in the sense that it's, uh, um, he boils it down to uh, the least common denominator. And for uh, Timothy, he needs that. He needs that. We all do. Um, and so although we're not all young pastors, um, maybe you want to be one or maybe you're thinking about it or whatever, it is, it is important to understand what a pastor is supposed to look like, um, what the government style is supposed to look like, um, what, the, what Paul envisioned anyway. And we believe that's by the Holy Spirit. Um, but also what he tells his young protege, this is what you need to keep true to. Um, if you're going to learn anything, if you're going to remember anything about what Paul says, this is it. And so this is a very important letter for all of us. Because although we're not all pastors or we're not all going to be in that kind of position, um, we do want to all be solid Christians. And these are the things that we don't move from if we're going to remain solid. Um, so it begins in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And he pretty much says the same thing in every one of his greetings. But I'm an apostle by the will of Christ, not by my own will. It's by the will of God. And uh, uh, he chose me, I didn't choose him, really. And we we remember the story in the book of Acts, how Paul got chosen. As he's persecuting the church, uh, God stepped in and said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And Paul says, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, surrendered his life right there. It was a radical change, as it should be for all of us. When you come to Christ... It ought to be a radical change, not something that's added on or tacked on to your life. Like, you know, it should be a radical change. It should be a 180-degree turn in your life. Nothing's been the same since you've come to Christ. It's, it's different. You're born again. Um, you call him Lord. And, and your first question out of your mouth to him is, what do you want me to do for you, Lord? Uh, and that's our, that's our walk with the Lord. And that's, that's Paul. And he, and he shows us that. He says, to Timothy, my beloved son, and he was beloved, considered him a son in the faith, Timothy is going to be, uh, his, his grandma and his uh, mother are going to be talked about here in a minute. No mention of his dad. We really don't know if his dad um, had died. 
Um, but there's no mention of his dad's faith at all. And so when Paul says, you're my beloved son in the faith, I bet there's a lot, of, a lot going on there as far as um, being a dad for him, in the sense, helping him, finish him off. I mean, the moms and grandmas can do a lot, but there's something about having a man in your life to go ahead and finish that for a boy. Uh, it is helpful uh, for a girl too, but it's very helpful. And, and I bet there was a lot going on there. But also, he is just talking about being a son in the faith. Um, and he's raised him up. And Timothy's doing well. There aren't a whole lot of guys that are doing well with, with Paul. Um, maybe Paul's just too rough. I don't know what the deal is. Um, I don't think so. But, uh, I mean, ministry's rough. And uh, Paul trained up Timothy to, to be able to withstand. And he's going to talk to him like a spiritual son here, like a spiritual father to Timothy about how he needs to get excited again and don't die out. Uh, it's, a, it's an enduring race. Um, and so he, uh, he treats him like one. He says, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and uh, Christ Jesus our Lord. And he wants him to know he has all those things and wishes those things upon him or prays for those things for him. I want you to have that unmerited favor. Don't ever forget that. I want you to have mercy and understand that God is a merciful God, and don't forget peace. You have peace with God, Timothy. Don't forget those things. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, um, and, Luis and in your, uh, your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. It's the first time we hear that. Um, Paul simply saying, I, I know how, much, how hard it is for us to be apart, and it is. Everybody watches those reunions where the soldier comes home and sees the family and all that, and the tears that are shed, and the surprise, and, and the excitement that's there. And, and uh, it's no different for these two men, um, father and son, spiritually and otherwise. Um, we miss each other, you know. There's something about that. As Paul talks about at the end of this chapter, those who have left him, he's got very few people that are with him anymore. And Timothy is the true son in the faith, a beloved son, um, someone who has like faith. It's, it's, it's not impossible, obviously. You ought to be able to stand on your own two feet without any brothers or sisters around. You don't have to have that. Um, you should have Christ and he should be complete. You should be complete in him, be able to withstand. And that's what you strive for. But that being said, there's nothing like getting close to somebody and being able to have that conversation that you can't have with anybody else that doesn't understand what you're talking about. If you're ministering constantly to people that don't quite understand exactly, you know, you're, you're always, you're, in other words, you're the professor and they're the students all the time, as Paul was with all the people around him most of the time. It's nice to be around a Timothy who gets what you're saying and you can finish the sentences basically and uh, he misses that. And he knows he has a genuine faith. And he gives credit to grandmother and mother um, who raised him up, but no mention of dad. Now, I'm not, I'm not faulting him. I don't know if dad was alive or if dad was dead. But if dad's alive, he didn't have the same faith. And this should be encouraging to you ladies. Um, I, I, you know, you, you always want dad on board, but not all, all the time. He's not, all, he's, not, he's not on board all the time. That's not always the way it is with marriage. You got married because, well, you just thought she was cute and he was cute and you didn't think about faith at all. You didn't think about salvation. You didn't think about Jesus. And you just got married. And then you realized it was really important <laughs> that you know Jesus and uh, you got saved and maybe the spouse didn't. And there you are. And now you're in this marriage. And whether you like it or not, he is your husband. Um, and you can make him your husband and you can love him. 
um, like he's your husband, because he is. He is now your husband. <laughs> there is no, oh, I made a mistake. I'm looking for another. I should have uh, never got married to this guy. I should have found someone who's a faith. So that gives me permission to get rid of this guy and find someone new. No, no, he is your husband. He's going to be a mission field for sure. But he's your husband, and you treat him as such. And these ladies do it. Um, they raise up this young man to be a, a man of God. And you can too. You can do it. You can pour your heart out into the young men around you, uh, your young son, uh, even if dad's not on board and might, be, might even be teaching him otherwise. It's a battle maybe, a struggle. You know, you're leading him one way and here comes dad and, oh, he's going to undo. Don't worry. God will keep it. God will keep it in his heart. You just got to trust the Lord. Um, you really do. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about mentorship and all that and, uh, and uh, you know, discipling and all those things, those terms we use, God is able to keep. You've got to trust his word, and you've got to trust him, that what you put in, it's never going to return void. It's always going to accomplish what it was set out to do, and it'll stick, and it'll bear fruit. Um, don't become weary in doing well. And these two ladies didn't. Grandma probably got saved first, passed it on to her daughter. Daughter passed it on to her son. And Timothy is the strongest man in Paul's life. Spiritually speaking, that's a good testimony for those ladies. Good for them. They did it. He says, I'm persuaded it's in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And stirring up there, the word is like a fanning of the flame. I think when, uh, uh, when uh, Josh and uh, David did their simulcast, or we tried to anyway, um, did that, uh, the, the young pastor over there shared this exact scripture with us during that time. I don't know if you remember he shared that, but that's what he's talking about. Fan up that flame. Um, stirring up seems to maybe stir the pot. It's not really the right word. Stir up is, it's the, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning, your campfire's down and, and you're cold. And so you blow on it and you put some more uh, dry wood on it and you get that flame going again. So there's some heat. And that's the idea here with Timothy. Timothy, that gift that you were given is starting to fizzle. You know, it's, it's there. We can see the smoke. We can still see the, it's hot, but we're, it's not effective anymore. And you need to stir that up. He's reminding him to do that. Now, we don't know why, except for what Paul says next. Stir up that gift of God, which was in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. That gives us a clue. Are you afraid to be hot, white hot for the Lord? You know, to be that uh, um, target, you know, if I'm quiet, I keep my head down. Uh, you know, the Bible does say I'm supposed to live a peaceable life and, you know, keep my head down, mind my own business. Maybe that's just what I'll do the rest of my life and it'd be a lot less persecution, a lot less people that, you know, throw darts at me or, you know, spears. Well, not so. That's not what he means by that other scripture. Um, Timothy, you need to stir that gift up. You need to fan those flames and get hot again for the Lord. Don't let it die out. Um, and we can let it die out and it's up to us to stir it up. That's important to understand. We have, a, we have a, a role in this. It's up to us to stir up that fire. Um, it's not just gonna, it's not gonna stir itself up. We can let it die. We can ignore it long enough. We can, uh, um, I can't think of the word, um, neglect it long enough that it just is a memory. And Paul says, don't do that, stir it up. Because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. Those are the things he's struggling with. He feels weak. He doesn't have a whole lot of love for the people around him. And he doesn't think he's right. <laughs> people tell him he's crazy. Long enough, he might start believing the, them and not the Lord. 
And Paul wants to remind him, your spirit that God has given you is one of boldness, uh, bravery. Um, you know, you're not to be a fearful person. Um, one of power. Uh, you're not a weak person. I got a thing, I got to share this with you, and, and, and it's, because I got fired up. I, on a Wednesday, this is a Sunday morning message, honestly. A Wednesday night, you guys have been at it all day long. You're whooped, you're tired, you're like, oh man, I just need to kind of relax, you know, and I get that, I understand that. But I've been studying this for two days, and I'm kind of jacked up right now, and I don't want to do that to you. You know, come on, everybody, you got it. You know what? Tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., promise, I'm on it. I understand that. So I'm going to take you through a line of scripture, not thought, my thoughts don't matter, but a line of scripture that needs to, we need to put to rest this idea that as Christians, we're worthless. Okay? And I'm not claiming that you're God. I'm not. I am claiming, though, that God lives in you. Okay? God tells us that in his word, that he has given us his Holy Spirit, and he resides in us. He tabernacles with us. He dwells in us. Okay? Which means I don't have a spirit of fear anymore. If there is fear, that's my flesh. That needs to go away and needs to die. Don't ever let that rise up. But the spirit within me, the Holy Spirit, doesn't have a spirit of fear. It's not in him. He's not afraid, ever. He also doesn't have a spirit of weakness. He's not a weak spirit. He is the, the most powerful spirit there is. It's the spirit of Christ, and I have him. And so therefore, I have a spirit of power. Now, I can suppress him. I can quench him. I can live in the flesh and be fearful and be weak, but that is not God's design for me or for you. Nor is it to not have a spirit of love. He is love. God is love. He is nothing else but that. I mean, he is everything else, but everything is contained in that love. Everything he does is for love and by love, and it's through love, and that's why 1 Corinthians 13 is so important. You can't do anything without love if you want it to be of value. Love is everything. And of a sound mind. God isn't crazy, neither are you, no matter what the world tells you. You're the one that has it right. I'm the one that has it right. I, I know how this all ends, and I'm exactly right. Not because JD's right, but because the Spirit of Christ has told me so. He has led me and guided me into all truth. He's given me a new mind, it tells me. The Word of God tells me I've got a new mind, and I have a new heart, which brings me to our line of Scripture. We quote this, and pastors still teach this, and every time I hear this, I just want to go up and say, excuse me, I just have a little... I'd like to put beside your last point, Pastor. And here's what they say. Jeremiah 17, 9. Turn there in your Bibles, if you will. And this is where I get a little fired up. Because it defeats us. And God's word is never meant to defeat us. It's meant to build us up. It's meant to encourage us. 17, 9. Jeremiah, speaking to a rebellious nation of Israel says the heart is deceitfully is deceitful sorry the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked who could know it okay and, and we take that and that we quote that oh i'd love to do that but my heart is deceptively wicked above all things i don't even know if what i'm thinking is right and what i'm feeling is right and we, and we defeat ourselves with this scripture and that's the next verse i the lord search the heart and test the mind even to give every man according to his way, according to the fruit of his doings. All he's trying to say there is you don't necessarily know your motives. He's not saying that everything you do is wicked. 
Well, what about that other scripture that says, uh, all my works are as filthy rags before the Lord. That's talking about a rebellious nation that does not know God or isn't following God. All my works are as filthy rags. So, so it's noble for me to stand up here after a Bible study and say, no, no, don't thank me. All my works are as filthy rags before the Lord. So that, that teaching, that Bible study was a filthy rag? Absolutely not. Here's the scriptures that we need to follow those up with. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, another prophet in the Old Testament, describes what God is going to do for us. Maybe my heart is wicked. Maybe my works are as filthy rags, but that's before God enters my life. After God enters my life, Ezekiel 36, 36, what did I say? 36, 26. There we go. And there's several. 3626 says, where is it? I, God says, will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of, out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, you're not going to be a creepy old man anymore or a bitter old person. You're going to be a fresh, new, vibrant, loving person. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. That's a promise we have from God. I have that. And if you're a born-again believer here tonight, you do too. So your works aren't as filthy rags before the Lord. And that drives me crazy when we teach that as pastors. Be careful. I know you're not here, pastors, but somebody somewhere needs to hear this. And it goes on. That's not the only place it says it. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Go a few pages to the left there. He repeats it over and over again. Because he wants us to know what he's come to do for us. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Then I will give them one heart, so we'll be unified in the spirit, and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, that they shall be my people and I will be their God. There's a change afoot. Those scriptures, those two, first two scriptures that we talk about are what happens before we know Christ. But when we come to Christ, God steps in and changes us. Romans chapter 7, 18. There's a New Testament. Paul talks about his problem. All men's problems. Romans 7 describes, and we all probably know it, what we do in the flesh. We want to do the will of God, but we don't do the will of God. We love to, but we can't. Um, where am I? For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. And if then I do what I do not, when I, when I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in, within me, or within me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. So he's talking about our flesh. He's not talking about our new life in Christ. He's talking about our flesh. When it rises up, there's nothing good in it. And there isn't anything good in our flesh. And I'm never going to argue that point. But I am arguing the point that there is something good in you. And that's the Holy Spirit. 
And he wants to work and he wants to move. He wants us to do things according to his will. And it's amazing when he does. So he goes on through chapter 7 describing that frustration that he has. And he finishes it with, oh, wretched man that I am, verse 24, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that's the question. Christ has not come to leave us in that place where everything we do is his filthy rags. He's not come to, to leave us with a desperately wicked heart, nor has he come to leave us powerless so that we can't walk the walk that God's called us to walk. He's done something about it. He sent his Holy Spirit. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Christ or through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who's going to be able to do what we can't do. Our works are no longer filthy rags when they're done in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. My heart isn't desperately wicked above all things when I'm walking according to the power of the Spirit and paying attention to him. And that's why chapter 8 is all about answering chapter 7 in Romans. Chapter 8 is the power of the Holy Spirit in us, able to do now all the things that we couldn't do but wanted to do in the flesh. You see? Now back to Timothy. I've got some more, just a few more cross-references here, and then we'll move on. The final one is in that same Ezekiel, um, chapter 18, verse 31. And this is where he says, I'm going to give you that new heart. We've read those two scriptures. I'm going to, I'm going to put that new heart in you and so on. Um, but he says this in 1831 about that event. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. It's a choice. Go get yourself a new heart. Go throw away your transgressions. Go receive what God has for you, the new heart and that new spirit. It's up to you. So I say all that because Paul has to remind Timothy, a pastor, you don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of, of, of bravery, of boldness. That's what you have now. Stir that up. Let him win. Let him, be, let him use you. You don't have a spirit of weakness, but a spirit of power. You don't have a spirit of hatred, but a spirit of love. You don't, you're not crazy. You have a sound mind. It's the mind of Christ. When I walk around, when you walk around this earth, do we walk around knowing that we have the Spirit of God in us with our head held high and our chest out a little bit? Not in pride, but in boldness and without fear. Nothing in this world can harm me. Are we timid? You know? Those two verses that we think about ourselves sometimes, those are on bad days. We have bad days where we walked in the flesh and we we remind ourselves, or Satan does, of those two scriptures. You know? Your heart's desperately wicked. I know. You know. And, and, and everything you do is a filthy rag. I know, it sure was today. And that's how we think. We go to bed defeated. Mm-mm. No, there's grace and there's mercy. And he goes on to describe that to Timothy so that he can move on and not be stuck in that place of depression or in that, because he's dying. His embers are down. He's not walking the way he's supposed to walk. He's not the pastor he's supposed to be. He's not on fire. He's becoming lukewarm to Luke cool at this point. And that's the place where God says, I'm going to spew you out of, your, out of my mouth. 
he's told and encouraged, and this is, this is, this is Paul's pep talk. This is his halftime speech to Timothy. I'm dying here, buddy. I don't know if I'm going to see you again. I'd like to, but I'm not sure I am. But you're the only guy left. Stir it up, buddy. Wake up. You don't have a spirit of power. You don't have a spirit of fear. You don't have a spirit of hatred. You have a, you have a sound mind. Wake up. Because when I'm gone, you're it. You best be at it. That's a dad talking to his son there. You don't have time to be sulking. Get up. Therefore, because of what I just told you, he says in verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of his prisoner. And some people take that to mean if you're not ashamed of the testimony of God, you'll stand out in the middle of nowhere and start screaming about Jesus. Maybe. If God calls you to do that, great. It's called open air preaching. Go for it. Um, but that's not, that's not the essence of it. In other words, if I'm not out there on a box screaming at the top of my lungs that everybody's going to either turn or burn kind of thing, which is fine. I mean, we need to hear that. I need to hear it. There's a place for that. But that doesn't mean if you don't do that, that you're ashamed of the gospel. Ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of the testimony is you walk around knowing you're right because you have Christ. And when someone asks you about why is your life together, why are things straightened out, you tell them because of Jesus Christ came into my life. Otherwise, I was a wreck. But I have a new mind and I have a new heart. And you just tell them. I'm not ashamed. I'm not saying, well, there's this really good counselor I went to and he really helped me out with my with my problems, you know. No, it's because Jesus. It's Jesus. Don't be afraid to say Jesus, not God. I know Jesus is God, but today you gotta be real specific. And I say that every time this comes up, I know everybody's like, I can finish your thought now. I know. But there's a lot of gods out there right now and you need to be specific about who helped you. It's not God, it's Jesus. And Jesus is God come in the flesh. So say, Jesus Christ changed my life. I'm a born again person now. I'm a new creature in Christ, a new creation. I have a new spirit. I have a new mind. It's a mind of power. You know, tell them. That's what not being ashamed means. And offering also. Not just when you're asked. Not everybody knows what to ask. Offer it. That's a little, that's a little, that takes a little more boldness, doesn't it? You know? Oh, I don't know what's going on. I'm just trying to... I kind of know what's going on. What's going on? I don't understand. Here's what's going on. The Bible says this is going to happen. Here's what God showed me when I was studying. God, Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. Back the truck up. No, no, listen. And be bold. Share the testimony. People want to know. It's just been suppressed so long or it's been stigmatized so long that people get afraid to talk about Jesus. They like to neutralize it a little bit so they're not offensive. John the Baptist was offensive. Very fruitful ministry though. Very fruitful. Um, We got that book and I read it. I read a book, believe it or not. Um, And it only takes about an hour and a half to read. It's a third cell out there. We've got it. And it's a, it's a companion book sort of to uh, Tale of Three Kings, which is, I think, better, honestly. If you're going to buy one of the two books, get the Tale of Three Kings. But this third cell is pretty good. This talks about the expectations that, Paul, that John had. John had expectations of what Jesus was doing. That's why he asked him, should I look for another Messiah? Are you him or are you not him? And it talks about John being in the third cell. Sorry, I gave it all away. Uh, so you don't have to read the book now. But 
We have expectations of what we think God's going to do. And, and when he doesn't meet those expectations, it makes us quiet. We're not so bold anymore. And um, that's, that's why Jesus' response to John was, blessed are those who aren't offended at me, or of me, or about me, or however you want to put it. Blessed are those who aren't offended at me. He didn't give John an answer. Yes, I'm the Messiah, no worries. I know you have your doubts, but no, I'm really, 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 really him. That's not how he answers him. He says, John is blessed are, and John's about to get beheaded. John, blessed are those who aren't offended at me. That's what he tells the guy who's going to get beheaded the next day. You know, that's tough love right there. Um, I would say the same for all of us. Blessed are, are we that aren't offended by what we, you know, Christ isn't doing what we thought he would do in our lives or in other people's lives or isn't answering our prayers as expediently as we thought he would or he hasn't done enough for me or whatever. Blessed are those, and you will be blessed if you're not offended by what he hasn't done. He's got a plan. He's unfolding, and he's doing what he wants to do. It's going all according to plan and purposes. Your calling, your actions, everything he's got you ministering or not ministering at, because he's got other people doing it, maybe. Blessed are we if we're not offended by what he is or isn't doing with us, or hasn't or hasn't done, but he's doing exactly what he needs to do, and we trust him. Don't be ashamed, he says of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't be embarrassed about your mentor being in prison. Oh, you're Timothy. So isn't your guy in prison? How's that working for you? You know, yeah, he is. It's kind of, don't be embarrassed about that. Paul says, don't be embarrassed. Wear that as a badge of honor. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Wear it with a badge of honor, Timothy. My pastor's in prison. <laughs> really, you're proud of that? Absolutely. I wish I was there. In fact, I bet Timothy was outside those bars more often than anybody else saying, what can I do to help you, Paul? Boldly. Not afraid to be associated with the guy behind bars. That's the kind of guy you, well, I don't want to steer clear of him. I don't want to get, I don't want to get on the wrong side of those bars, you know, kind of thing. No, Paul's on the right side of those bars. And Timothy probably felt like, hey, how do I get in there? You know, what do I do? Share in those sufferings. Don't be embarrassed about me. And here's why. Because God's, according to the power of God, who has saved us, first of all, and he's called us with a holy calling. And look how he qualifies this. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. And this is one of Paul's long sentences. I won't call them run-on sentences anymore. It's just a really long thought with a lot of commas. So I've got to break it down. It's not according to our works that we have this holy calling, and it's not according to anything but his own purposes and his grace that he's called us. That puts to bed our pride. That puts to bed our pride. It ought to put to bed our pride. Oh, I'd love to teach, but I just, I don't think I should. I don't think I can. Nobody cares what you think. Nobody cares if you think you're qualified. Nobody cares if you think you can do it or not. God's called you to do it. Get up and do it. Oh, I'm just not worthy. You're right. You're not. Get up. I'll go teach. I mean, that's the idea behind this. Timothy, you're not doing this because of, of something that's in you. Um, you're not. It's, because of, it's not because of your, your works. It's because of God in you. He's called you to do this. It's a holy calling. You don't have any, you don't have any right to say no to him. Um, we don't have any right to feel comfortable with it. It makes no difference. That, that's a prideful thought. When you become worthy, you're going to do it, you mean? When you become good enough, be careful. 
That's the flesh talking. That's when we do run into the problem of living after the flesh and falling back into Romans chapter 7. You see, we need to stay in Romans 8, where it's by the power of his spirit. He saved us and he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. We've never been, we, he never picked us because of our speciality or our, or our gifts or our abilities, but according to his own purpose and grace. He's called you to speak at this time in this season because he wants you to speak at this time in the season. There's a reason for it. And it's because of his unmerited favor towards you. To say that you can't do it because you don't think you're qualified is to say that his grace is not sufficient for you. And it needs to be. And so he's building him up. He's taking away all of his excuses for not fanning the flames and doing what he's called to do. He's taking them all away. It's a holy calling. It's a calling by God. And he saved us to do it for his purposes and his grace. Not our purposes, not our exaltation, but his which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time again. So stop apologizing for having to pick the elders at the church. Hey, sorry guys, I know you all want to be elders, but I can only pick these guys. I don't know what to say. You know, I just hope you don't hate me afterwards. I'm sorry if you hate me. Paul says that these are the criteria. You don't meet the criteria. Sorry. Um, Bob, you're going to be elder number one, and Joe, you're going to be number two. Um, you meet the criteria. That's how it's going to be. No apologies. It's just we're doing what God's called us to do according to his purposes, according to his grace. And so he's building Timothy up to do that. And he's trying to build us also. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. And I build us up to say, you know what? I need to walk around like I am a son of the most high God or a daughter of the most high God who's going to inherit all things, who's chosen me to be his ambassador here on earth no matter where I go. Nobody can defeat me. Nobody else is more right than I am because I have God's word and I have the spirit of Christ so therefore, I walk that way. Like I have a solution, like I have an answer. Like I have power by the Spirit. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, the good news, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. He was all three. He's a preacher, that's when you try to get people saved. He's an apostle, he's a sent one, like to start churches, and he's also a teacher. He teaches the word of God, and that's what he's going to tell Timothy. He's going to boil this whole letter down to one thing, preach the word. Don't get away from the word of God. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep, and there's that part that I was talking about earlier, he's able to keep, what I have committed to him until that day. I don't have to worry. Oh, I, I, you know, I led that guy to the Lord at the beach or at the bus station or at the mission or wherever it was, and I haven't seen him since. Committed to God. God's able to keep him. Think about this. Who, who was Paul's mentor? I mean, he got saved by Christ himself, obviously. Um, he got some, some guy laid hands on him to get his sight back and minister to him a little bit. But after that, he had like 14 years by himself. Where, how did he learn? How did he get all of his knowledge? How did he grow in the grace and knowledge of his, of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? How did he study the scriptures? It's by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit taught Paul all that he had to know. Now, Barnabas did go find him, but Barnabas really didn't have much to add except getting him in the door to see the apostles. God had a hold of him. Likewise, Timothy, he's on his own. Paul's writing him letters here and there, but for the most part, Timothy's learning, you know. P people, we and everybody else 
God is able to keep us in the faith. If you're on an island by yourself, you're going to be fine. You're going to grow in the Lord as long as you stick with God. And God promises us that. As long as I'm in his word, as long as I'm in prayer, and I'm studying, I mean, we don't want to forsake the assembling together, the brethren, to worship together. We want to do that. But he, we're on, we're in, he's our mentor. He's our shepherd. He's our teacher. He's our rabbi. He's got us. And Paul had a rest in his ministry. He's able to rest. He wasn't fretting and worried about all the people. He write him letters once in a while. But he's able to keep. Paul knew that. At the end of his life, this is what he says to Timothy. I believe that I'm now persuaded. He's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. He's got everybody in his hands. I don't have everybody in my hands. It's not up to me to keep people saved. Paul knew that. Paul rested in his ministry. He knew that he had led them to, that's all we do is we lead people to Christ. If we drop out of someone's life and they drop out of God's life, then he never had a hold of their hand. They had a hold of our hand while we had a hold of Jesus' hand. And that is not the connection we want with God for people. Our job is to do that and let them go. They need to be with Christ. You know, They need to walk. We need to learn how to study on our own. We need to know how to digest God's word, to be chewers of God's word, not, not milk only, sucking on the bottle. But we need to learn how to chew on our own and digest it and eat the meat, not just the toppings, you know. Paul knew that. He was able to rest in his ministry knowing that God is able to keep all those people and to keep the word of God. So he says this, verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. I want you to hold fast to that pattern. I gave you a pattern to follow, Timothy. Follow that pattern. It's a good pattern. Anybody, any sowers in here know what I'm talking about? You, know, you get those, I don't understand that. I get the patterns out and I look at them, there's like way too many lines, way too many dots. I'm like, those are sizes? So like one pattern will fit everybody, okay? So how do I know what size I, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I, there's needles going in and putting the paper onto the fabric and they're cutting it. I don't get, I get the idea behind it though. I understand the idea, the thought. And by the time it's done, if you follow the directions and follow the pattern, you've got a dress. Or you've got a pair of pants or you've got a shirt and it worked out. If you follow the pattern, you begin to wing it. <laughs> some of you ladies are probably skilled enough to do that. Maybe some of you guys are pretty skilled and can do that. You can kind of look at it and say, I can think I can make this better. What Paul's trying to tell us and tell Timothy, despite your sewing abilities, don't stray from the pattern. You can't make it better. When it comes to what we have in God's word, don't stray from the pattern. We can't make it better. The, the, the test, the temptation for Timothy and every young pastor out there in 2018 and on is to vary and to move away from God's word just a little bit because maybe this is going to cool. This will make it better. Bring this in. We can make this a little better. We can make this a little bit better. Paul says, don't, don't get away from the pattern. The pattern I gave you is right. It's good. Do the pattern. I've been given a pattern um, as a pastor. I know my pattern. I follow Pastor Chuck Smith. I'm not a groupie. Well, I kind of am a groupie. But I don't worship him. I know that he's a sinful man who was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ just like anybody else. But he, he was given a pattern. I'm following that pattern. I'm not going to stray from that pattern at all. Um, 
Paul has a pattern, and we follow that pattern. And actually, Pastor Chuck got his pattern from Timothy and from Paul here as he sees the, the way it's supposed to be laid out. They follow it. We try to be a book of Acts church. We try to follow this pattern in First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, first century church, best we can anyway. Follow that pattern of sound words which you heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That word dwells there is the same word in John 1.14 where it talks about Jesus dwells with us. Tabernacled with us is the word. Tabernacle reminds us of the tent in the Old Testament, right? They set up the tent. God showed up. The Shekinah glory was there. It was amazing. He sat there. This is the same thing in John 1. Jesus tabernacled with us. That's why Paul calls our bodies our tents. That was Jesus. Jesus was the tent, contained God. There he was. He tabernacled with us. God tabernacled with us in Christ. Okay? And now Paul says the same thing. We keep this pattern. We keep these good works and these, this good gospel that we have by the Holy Spirit who tabernacles with us. We become that tent. And he dwells in us. Okay? We're not God, but God dwells in us. Spirit of power. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are um, Phygelius and Homogenes, which I'm glad because who'd want to call Pastor Phygelius and Pastor Homogenes, you know? I'm kidding. These guys are gone. He names them by name. I mean, they're immortalized in God's word. These guys left. They turned away from me. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. So this guy walks into Rome, doesn't know where Paul is, so you can see him. Does anybody know where Paul or Saul or whatever he called him in his, you know, whatever his credentials would be, you know? Are you asking for Paul, the guy who's in prison? Who's in prison? Which prison? You know, I mean, he's just bold that way. He walks right in town. You don't want to be saying that too loud. You might join him in this next cell. I don't care. Where is he? You know, that's who this guy is. So if you're going to name a kid, there you go, Anisiphorus. I don't know what you call him for short. Ansi? One. Yeah, one. That'd be cool. What's your name? One Dirks. I like that. No, I'm done. I'm not having more kids. <laughs> For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. Paul remembers that. Everybody else is tiptoeing around, whispering Paul's name, but not this guy. This guy came bouncing down the hall of the jail, you know. Paul! Paul! Down here, dude! You know, sticking his hand out the cell. Open that up. You can't sit. You know, he's just bold walking past the guards. You can just see this guy. And that was so refreshing to Paul. <sighs> Not everybody's going to fail. Not everybody's going to walk away. Not everybody's going to shrink in shame. You know, I got Timothy, who needs a little stirring up, but I've also got this in the Sephoris. And notice how Paul mentions that to Timothy. And the Sephoris isn't embarrassed about me. The Sephoris was zealous. That's where we stir each other up for good works. That's what Paul's doing here. Timothy's like, well, I'm closer to you than Nisiphorus. Nisiphorus, you know. Well, good, we'll show it, Timothy. Let's, let's stir that up a little bit. And that does, doesn't it? Sometimes when you hear somebody, I get jealous. I'll give you a realtor thing. I got five minutes. I hate it when I see another realtor sign go up. I don't know what happened to me. I drive by, I'm like, really? 
okay, I see. Why didn't they call me? What in the world? Knock on the door. No, you know. That being said, what, does that, what that does is says, you know what? I need to get at this. I need to get busy, you know. Quit sitting around and, and maybe, maybe I sat around the day before something. It, it stirs me up to say, you know what? They're busy out doing their job. I need to get out there busy doing my job. So on a side note, same way. As a pastor, I hear these guys saying, yeah, we went here and we did this. Oh, yeah, that's great. I'm really happy for you, you know. Stirs me up a little bit, you know. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing at our fellowship. I love going to those conferences. I love it. We get the big, pa- we go in the upper room with all the pastors, you know, all the senior pastors up there. A lot of it's woe is me and, and life's horrible and, and my ministry's horrible and all that stuff. And I get a little tired of that. So I stand up. I'm like, man, it's awesome. I love the ministry. I mean, there's a lot of battles. There's a lot of stuff going on. But boy, that's what we kind of signed up for, isn't it, guys? Yeah, that's what we signed up for. That's right. We're supposed to get beat up. We're supposed to have a crown of thorns, right? We're supposed to get crucified. So, hey, you guys sound like you're great. You know, stirs us up. And that's what the son of Sephora's mention is going to do for Timothy, I believe. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Now, I'm sure he wasn't always, I mean, it wasn't just to stir Timothy up, and I'm, but I'm sure it did. Timothy is supposed to know that he's not alone out there, too. You know, if you need someone to talk to, Timothy, or you need someone to bounce things off of, call in the Sephora's. He's on fire. You know, and we need that. As iron sharpens iron, right? We need that. We need some guys to sharpen ourselves with. You can't get to me. You can't talk to me. Anisiphorus is the next best thing. Go ahead and talk to him. He's in the same condition as you are, same place. You know, um, you remember him from Ephesus, right? He was at your church, Timothy, you know. Um, Call him or get to know him. Just hang out with him a little bit. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart to not leave Timothy if anything, he should be concerned about himself and his own neck. He's the one in trouble. He's the one in prison. He's the one waiting for a death sentence. He doesn't know which way this is going to go. And yet his thought is, before he dies, to encourage another brother, to lift him up and to build him up. And I, I, I thank you for that, God. That stirs me up. That no matter what I'm going through or bad, how, what kind of day we're, any of us are having, God, we want to be looking for those that need to be lifted up because our day is infinitely better than somebody else's for sure. We just got to look hard enough. Whether that's the guy on the side of the road with the cardboard sign, or whether that's someone in Africa, or wherever. Someone needs to be ministered to. And we have enough strength in us to do that. We have been given your spirit. Lord, help us to remember that. To set our problems and our weariness aside, to look out for those around us and to help them, Lord, to build them up, God. So I pray that you give us an opportunity this week, maybe even tonight or tomorrow, to see that and to use this. Help us to walk around tomorrow, Lord, or even tonight with our head higher, Lord. Not in our own pride, but in whom we know and who dwells in us, Lord. That we have been given a spirit of power, um, one of might um, and love. And we want that. We have a sound mind. So God, help us to use all those things and to allow your Holy Spirit to work through us that we might change this world for you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in the ministry, Lord. You've called us with holy calling. We thank you for that grace. Lord, help us to walk in that calling. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, come on up. Be glad to pray with you guys. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.